Hey, good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, and welcome to our new studios. How awesome is that, man? It's, it's Yeah, if you're just listening, you can't see it, so that's your fault. But <laughs> those watching us, they can see it. It's nice in here. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. We're grateful for this, man. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record theology from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address the foster care adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, the southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. Let's get us to some headlines. Well, today my first piece of news is going to come in the fact that we're in our new studios here at Global Impact Restoration Rome, and and uh, and I'm this is I'm just totally I'm not going to name drop, but some really cool people from Texas Christian University and the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development used um, our podcast equipment to uh, continue the work that we do here, at Global Impact Restoration Rome, right? And um, and that will be beamed out all over the world here in the not too distant future. And they're in the building, so we're hosting uh, TBRI practitioner training right. here, and um, with Texas Christian University and the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development, and that's absolutely awesome. Been a fantastic week having people from all over the state of Georgia. Um, and if you get practitioner trained in the state of Georgia, it will happen right here. Really cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And so we're practitioners. Uh, mm-hmm. My bride is a practitioner. She's in the training. She's a mentor. Uh, working to help train all those practitioners. And so it's really, really awesome. So that's a cool piece of news. And so if you want to know more about that, you can check out restorationrome.org. Um, you can find out how you can become a, a TBRI practitioner, but also just learn. You can come to Restoration Rome and uh, get some trainings that we hold throughout the year where you can get exposed to TBRI if you're going to work in the foster care adoption world. But I would also say uh, that if you're just a parent, you're just a spouse, uh, you have relationships with people, this is a way, a framework of thinking about how relationships function together healthily and so uh connect empower correct and so it's huge it's a big deal and so check it out that's awesome but also have some headlines today ukrainian president volodymyr Zelensky will reportedly visit the white house next week in an effort to bolster american support for continued aid to ukraine the visit comes as congressional lawmakers a vocal minority of whom are adamantly opposed to providing kiev more munitions race to fund the government our own government before september 30 deadline and weigh whether to approve a supplemental funding package that includes $24 billion in additional aid to Kiev. Russian officials said Thursday they were expelling two U.S. diplomats from Russia over illegal activity. And that's in quotes. The expulsions are related to alleged contact with a former Russian contractor, Robert Shonov. I don't think I'm pronouncing his name correct, but he's employed by the U.S. consulate in the far east uh, of the country who's been charged with collaborating with a foreign government. The two diplomats now have seven days to leave the country. Yet again, Russia has chosen a confrontation and escalation over constructive diplomatic engagement, State Department spokesman Matt Miller said Thursday. It continues to harass employees of our embassy just as it continues to intimidate its own citizens. And then Hunter Biden, President Joe Biden's son, was indicted Thursday on three federal firearms charges as part of a long-running probe, which feels like a smokescreen compared to the other 
nasty things that seemed to be going on. It's like, ooh, yeah. g- gun charges. Right. Don't look over here, but <laughs> look over here. Special counsel David Weiss and uh, his indictment accuses the younger Biden of lying about the drug use when he bought a revolver in October 2018 and of possessing a firearm while using a narcotic. But don't look at the Chinese funds coming into him and his father. Oh, did I just comment? <laughs> Oops. Oh, that's, that's not in the news headline. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so uh, the Supreme Court on Thursday extended a temporary pause in the implementation of a U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling barring the White House, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and other federal agencies from communicating with social media companies. In the decision, which is uh, now on hold until September 22nd, the three-judge panel had ruled the Biden administration likely violated the First Amendment by encouraging the companies to remove content it considered to be misinformation. The Justice Department sought the pause Thursday in order to have time to prepare a full appeal. Finally, Planned Parenthood Official in Wisconsin said Thursday the organization will resume abortion procedures in the state next week after a judge ruled last week that a 19th century law against intentionally destroying the life of an unborn child does not apply to voluntary abortion procedures. The judge said 1985 law, uh, which allows abortions performed before a fetus could survive outside the womb, superseded the 1849 law. But nobody look at Margaret Sanger and her racist eugenics and the founder of Planned Parenthood and the fact that they provide abortions for minorities more than anybody else has any correlation whatsoever. Whatever you do, don't do that. Yeah, careful. So I commented again. Did you? Yeah, I didn't just read the news. Sorry, my bad. Headlines and opinions. (laughs) Headlines and opinions brought to you by the dispatch. Well, i got to start my headlines today with the most important headline of them all, and that is our Atlanta Braves clinched a sixth straight NL East division title on September 13th with 16 games to play, which is incredible. So chop on, teams mm-hmm. doing incredible and historic things, especially offensively, and they also look likely to end up with the best record overall, which will give them home field advantage throughout the playoffs, hopefully on their way to a second World Series title in the last three years. Chop on, fellas. Mm-hmm. Um, my other one... You kind of did. It was a Hunter Biden thing, so I'll just add that his um, there was a plea deal in place, but it fell apart because the two sides couldn't agree on whether the arrangement guaranteed the end of the investigation. The deal included probation for a guilty plea to two tax misdemeanors and a diversionary agreement on a gun-related felony for owning a weapon while using drugs, which there's a lot of bad combinations in the world, but <laughs> drugs and guns probably aren't the best. It's like alcohol and driving. Right. Uh, particularly for a guy doing deals with Chinese uh, businesses connected to Ukraine, no doubt. And very interesting. Yeah. But it, you're right. It is funny. It's like, hey, look over here. Look over here. Don't look over here. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking. But that's all I got today. Awesome. Very good. Well, uh, I don't think it's about time for uh, our special guest. There he is. There he is. Always a special guest. Gentlemen, may I have. Your attention, please. It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Let's 
That's indeed rock. Well, today, Chris, um, we're going to talk about deconstruction. Deconstruction. And that, that word, you've got some notes, and you're going to talk about this in, in just a few moments. But this is this is a very important word. Um, it, it's got multiple connotations, but uh, one in an, in an early Enlightenment application, but being used particularly today in another application what uh, completely altogether. And so... Um, for a lot of people, uh, it may seem like we're tardy to the party and talking about deconstruction because this is it's kind of an old topic. Uh, but in reality, though, I think it's wise to sometimes sit back when things begin to happen and people start uh, discussing cultural phenomena because there's an old saying. I love this saying, uh, and I, I can't remember where I ripped it off from. I read it in a book. I didn't come up with this. Um, so I wish I could lay it at the feet of its author. And I don't think where I... Best I can remember where I read it from, even the author who used it didn't know where it came from. So public domain. But the old saying, the early bird gets the worm, that's awesome. But you ever recognize the early worm gets eaten? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, being the first to comment on something isn't always the smartest thing. But what you'll find in a lot of circles is, man, if it becomes pop culture, man, the first thing you do, Pastors are going to have sermon series on deconstruction. Like three months after somebody said deconstruction, I'm walking away from the faith. <laughs> people, right. people are going to have a sermon series, like it, you know, at, at the first global church worldwide or whatever. The the celebrity guy is going to have to have his take on it. Um, <laughs> or there's going to be a podcast on it. So yeah, the early bird gets swarmed, but sometimes the early worm gets eaten. It's a good time to. It's it's a wise thing to let things breathe sometimes. Yeah. And I think um and so for us, uh I've been sitting on this a while and I'm glad you suggested this was your idea and I think it's a fantastic idea, uh, because I've been sitting on it a while. I needed to think on it. I need I personally needed to let it breathe. And so uh, we're gonna talk about deconstruction today. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off with a little bit of a definition uh that I that I found from Alyssa Childers. I don't even know who this person is. I was totally Googling other people's thoughts because I, de- I have my concept of what I believe deconstruction is, but I found this helpful because yeah. uh, it's rather general. Uh, it says, the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. All right, so that, that kind of landed as making sense out of what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing um, when people talk about the construction of the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Here's what I would say. I think what you see in deconstruction falls in two categories. I think uh, number one is people, it's just a fancy way to say unbelief. Yeah. Or it's a way someone has uh, other people who are wrestling, legitimately wrestling with doubt, have taken that word and set it, sat it on top of what they're wrestling with. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, I think I think two things going on. I think how that what it means versus how it's being used is super important. Or in a world now too where everything needs a title or a, you know something to call. Yeah. Um that started with you know back in the day we had to we had to label kids something. Yeah. We had to label them ADHD or we had to label them problem right. kid something. Right. And I, I, it didn't really start there, but I just that's what I go to and I think just Everything now has to have a title. We've got to call it something so that we can kind of support what we're dealing with in a way that it has a label. Yeah, that that's right. That's right. And, Whether and, good or bad. Right. And and sometimes things are complex and defy a one word definition right. or one word to to describe what they are. So, I, and and it, and if anybody listening to this has a different take, please email us and let us know. I w- I would like to hear you. But I think there are two things going on here. I think it's a word used to describe 
unbelief. It's a fancy, it's a fancy way to not say that I just don't believe anymore. Yeah. And, and someone has taken perhaps that language and used it to describe their doubting, their wrestling with their faith. And so to, to that first category of people, I want to issue a start warning. The Bible is very clear in the book of Hebrews. You have everything to lose and nothing to gain if you walk away. Do not walk away. Yeah. And you can. I think that's clear. I, I think there are people who are truly not converted, who have, who have somehow superimposed the faith on top of themselves through some cultural um, misuse of the faith, and they just truly don't believe. And when it dawns on them, they don't believe. They walk away, and you can do that. And the book of Hebrews warns you, if you walk away, you are witnessing to the world that you have trampled on the eternal Son of God, and and is also very clear. There's no coming back from that. So I would say, if if you are choosing to not believe anymore, be very very careful. But also be very sensitive to a person wrestling with doubt and wrestling with their faith, because Jude twenty two and twenty three says, "Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire." To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so if you're doubting, if you're doubting, I, I want to be very merciful and gracious because there's no such thing as a Christian on the face of the planet who hasn't doubted or walks in some manner of doubt daily. Right. Doubting, and I would say doubting is not deconstructing. 100%. Not even close to no. deconstructing. And so if you doubt, fear not. Yeah. Um, but that Jude 23 says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. So if, if you're in that place, if you're walking down the road of unbelief, I hope today we can snatch you out of the fire because that's where you're walking. But if you're doubting, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And and, and for those who doubt, um, you're in good company. Right. Uh, Moses doubted. Um, the saints of the Bible doubted. We all doubt. Um, the question is, will we turn back from belief? And, and so what we want to do is help distinguish between doubting and unbelief a little bit today. Um, if, if one is deconstructing how the word is being used, as I said earlier, they're either slowly peeling back the layers of their unbelief that they've already settled somewhere in their consciousness, or they're rejecting possibly a cultural... I'm not going to use the word I wrote down there because I just realized I think it's a little bit of an inappropriate word. <laughs> they're rejecting a cultural... Um, misuse of the faith that is borderline cultish rather than faithful, and they've seen it for what it is, and they're searching for a faithful manifestation of what they're reading in their Bible. Right. Make sense? Yeah, no. All right. All right. So uh, for the first one, as I've said already, I'd say stop. Before you get down that road of publicly putting Christ to shame by declaring your unbelief, stop. Because once you go down that road of throwing off Jesus, there is no backtracking from that. Be very careful. Read the book of Hebrews all the way through and pay careful attention to chapter 6. Because what he's going to say in chapter 10 is, chapter 6 is contrasted with chapter 10 where these, these persecuted saints have accepted the plundering of their property, death, and imprisonment because they have a better and an abiding reward. They've considered Jesus better than anything else, and so they've willfully, joyfully received the loss of everything because Jesus is better. Mm -hmm. And he's contrasting that with people in chapter 6 who've decided they would rather have their stuff, they would rather have an ease of life, they would rather not be persecuted than have Jesus, so they've thrown Jesus off. And what he's saying to them is if you're in that category of you would rather have this stuff than you would have Christ, and you have never had Christ, you don't have the Spirit of God, 
and you are you, there's no way to come back from that. Right. And so you have everything to lose and nothing to gain. So if that is you and you're listening to this, I would say stop and be very careful that you don't go down that road of self-soothing. Whatever it is you're considering better than what you're trying to throw off, it is an eternal decision. And I would say be very, very careful before you make it. For the second person, again, if you're doubting, I'd say read your Bible. A lot of people who doubt, it's not because they read their Bible. There is no doubt when you read through your Bible the first time and even the second and third time, you're going to start finding things that are going to make you go, hmm, what am I supposed to do with that? That's categorically different than unbelief. And, and those things can make you wonder and create some level of doubt. And it's not because the text creates doubt. It's because there's a lack of understanding in us mm-hmm. about the background, the authorship, the content, what are they actually addressing? And those things go away as you dig into the text and read the text of the Bible as a unified book, one author, many scribes, one story, 66 chapters. Right? When you begin to read it that way, those things start to make sense of themselves. So read your Bible, read it with a friend, anchored in the faith. And if you don't have a friend, reach out to us, we'll connect you to a church. But read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get it and read it. I would say it's impossible to be a Christian with never, ever, ever reading your Bible. Right. So if you don't have a Bible, reach out to us. We'll get you one. Uh, and if you don't have a church where you have a friend you can read your Bible with, reach out to us, and we'll help you get connected to a Bible-believing church. There's it, the, Wherever you live, uh, go to ninemarks.org and do the church finder, and they will list you a bunch of churches in your area. Um, there may not be a bunch, but there may be some Uh that will connect you to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church. Go visit them and find somebody who will read the Bible with you. Yeah. Because I promise you, if you show up there and say, I don't, don't have a Bible, I'd like to have one, I'd like to read it, somebody will help you do that. Yeah. And then dig in and be discipled. And, um, and, and I think that's going to help you immensely. And so that's my initial jump into deconstruction. All right, I'm going to take it back a little bit because I think it's important to kind of understand where where the work came from, it, it, what it means now. And I think, like you said, there's multiple meanings of it. Yeah. Um, and it's there's not really a great original definition, but it really originated back in the 1960s. We got, there's a French philosopher, um, Jacques Derrida, I'm going to say. Jacques Derrida, uh, yeah. Maybe butchering that name as well. But he began to advocate for a postmodern philosophy of language and its relationship to our conceptions of meaning. And he called it deconstruction. So basically it asserts that human language at best communicates not absolute truth, but how a certain individual perceives truth at a specific moment in time in the context of his cultural, political, religious, environmental, and experiential influences. So in other words, it's a method of literary criticism that takes apart and analyzes an author's use of language in, in an effort to discern his construct of meaning. Yep. And, and interestingly enough, in the Enlightenment, um, Derrida comes from Descartes, which will take you back to the Enlightenment. And what's interesting is that literary critical perspective has infiltrated theological studies so that most people who've been trained to read as a de- don't even realize they've been trained to read as a deconstructionist read the Bible that way. And, and here's, here's an example. When in Christian Bible studies, we ask the question, what does this mean to you? That right. is a deconstructionist question. Meaning is not determined by me. Like if, if I'm saying the question, what does it mean to you? What I'm insinuating is you have meaning residing inside of you. 
and that those words do not mean anything independent of you. And that is a devastatingly terrible worldview. Right. Well, and that's, that's what sparked the um, um, prosperity gospel, really, if you think about it, because yeah. it was like, oh, God means to do good for me if I do these things. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll take and reconstruct my own meaning of it. Yeah. I would say deconstruction as a literary perspective has its, is the root of every heresy that is applied to Christianity. Well, well not every heresy, but majority, at least in modern times, applied to good. I just made a very bold, broad statement, mm-hmm. but I would narrow it down, at least in my lifetime, the heresies, the false teachings we come across has its roots in that idea of I can bring meaning to the text. Right. The text doesn't have an innate. The author didn't have anything in mind, and they weren't receiving that from the Lord. And there's a Platonic Aristotelian worldview in that, but but I'm bringing meaning to the text. Meaning resides in me. That that's a that's an understanding of man having some manner of eternality to him, which he does not. We're not eternal. We're temporal. We're going to live forever, but we have a born on date. Does that make right, sense? Right. And so, but that worldview isn't anchored in the Bible. That's anchored somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Understanding deconstruction and its original use literarily affects how we use it today and its understanding of what's happening with people. Right. If you kind of put it, put an image around it, think, you know, if you've ever built a, a house of cards, right? Like that's construction. Right. And, and deconstruction, if you wanted to do it proper way, you would start at the top and you would take a little bit at a time. But what happens mm-hmm. is these, like a lot of folks are, pulling from the foundation. Yeah. And if you pull one card out of the foundation of a house of cards, the whole thing topples over right. and now you've got nothing. Right. And so that's, that's not a proper way to go through it, but I feel like that's probably what's happening. Mm-hmm. Basically they have, uh, Christians have adopted this term from a philosophical principle based on a naturalist worldview. And we had that conversation recently about mm-hmm. naturalism and, and what that leads to. So um, in the Christian world, this translates to critically questioning traditional modes of Christian belief um, or Christian, just basic principles, if you will, right. um, often refusing to recognize those who are occupying privileged Christian institutional positions who supposedly speak for God as authority figures. So a lot of this recently has come out of, and I think more times than not, these are people who have been hurt some Mm, way, whether legitimately hurt by someone oppressing them or someone condemning them in some manner. Um, Also, a lot of it just has to do with, I don't have to take your word for something just because you're a Mm. pastor. Right. So I think there's, there's, like you said earlier, there's, there's some people out there who deal with it differently. Right. And there's a very dangerous, they're both dangerous, but there's one that is not really deconstruction. Right. And and I would say this too, I, I think it's important for us to recognize culturally there has been a place that some have played inside the establishment of the cultural manifestation of Christianity in the West that have, that have played a role in people walking away. And that's a devastating thing. Right. Um, and some of that is particularly by not teaching the Bible appropriately, misusing the Bible, right, and not making application to the public square at all, and making promises the Bible doesn't make, mm-hmm. saying things the Bible doesn't say, um, rather than faithfully teaching the Bible. And, and so that that's highly unfortunate. It is, uh, and a lot of the people that are championing this moment, this movement, have either, like I said, they've been hurt by the church in some way, but a lot of it's just they don't like the perceived inclusiveness or exclusiveness of Christianity, if you will, right. like what they perceive that to be. So we especially see this in the LBGTQ plus and transgenderism movement. Right. It's it's like, well, God didn't really say like, you know, a loving God wouldn't, right. Wouldn't condemn those who 
were born this way or how they feel is born that way. And so that that's a big area. I feel mm-hmm. like not necessarily people who are or identify that way, but people who, also people who support that yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. And so we're seeing that a lot. Um, but they're trying they're trying to bridge over a theology into a life application that the Bible will not let you make. Right. No, 100%. Yeah. Um, but like you said, for today's purposes, we want to focus more on the more recent meaning behind the movement where people are who formally claim to be believers are using deconstruction to describe their departure from Christian altogether. You might even call it deconversion. Right. Might be a better term for it. Um, mm-hmm. That, um, And we see this on social media quite often. I know for me, one of the primary places I have kind of really introduced to this movement was through Derek Webb, um, formerly of Cayman's Call. Oh, yeah. Um, he has written a, a numerous really good quality Christian songs, hymns, um, both in Cabin's Call and when he started his um, solo career. But he's been an adamant champion for a deconstruction movement and even released a song recently called Boys Will Be Boys. And in the music video, he spends the whole time being made into um, a drag queen. And so he's still involved with some church, some church in Tennessee somehow that's very – Openly progressive. Got to be Nashville because that's not East Tennessee. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> definitely Nashville, not not the other side. Yeah, um, but it's just. Wow. But and and, and th- I say that, and I bring him up because this is a pretty common thing between for a lot of contemporary Christian. I'm using air quotes if you can't see me. Yeah, which funny story. Addison has been learning how to try to do this, my daughter, and it's hilarious when an eight year old. But she finally used it right the other day, and it was really fun. Yeah, Amazing. To, sorry, that was a sidebar, but uh, cause <laughs> I just love air quotes when they're used in the right context. Absolutely. Or if they're used in the very wrong context, it's still funny. It can be funny. Um, but back to that. So, you know, um, people like Kevin Max, who used to be in, in DC Talk back in the day, um, talks about his deconstructive views and process. Um, the Gunger. I don't remember Toby the Toby Mac? No, not Toby Mac. Kevin Max. He was the other one. Really? There's, not not Mike. So you had Michael Tate. Okay. I didn't Michael, realize he. Yeah. Wow. Kevin Max, I think, became lead singer of Audio Adrenaline recently. Oh. Or, well, and several years ago. But Really? Yeah. Bummer. I know, right? Uh, not Toby Mac. I'm totally out of the loop on that world because, yeah. Um, and then many of you guys heard of Michael and Lisa Gunger. They did the song Beautiful Things um, yeah. not too long ago. Right. Um, very outspoken about that. So, and there's a lot more. I just, But that tends to be a people who are quote-unquote celebrities in mm. the contemporary Christian world, right. a lot of them are embracing this. Wow. And um, it continues to make mm. people change how they apply what they read in the Bible by either being selective as to what to use and what to ignore, or what we often see in here is that something is explicitly defined. If it's not explicitly defined and laid out in mm. Scripture, then it must be okay. Right. Like, like God doesn't really address this. Like he does, There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't be – you can't change into a different gender. Right. And I'm like, but there's enough in the Bible. To, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like it's, it's picking and choosing. Right. There's this process of like, I'll just, I'll kind of make what my, what I think it should mean out of it. Right. And if it doesn't mean that anymore, then I'm going to back off. I'm not, I'm not going to be that kind of Christian anymore. Yeah. Right. And that's where you, you talk, like you talked about, there's a very dangerous, yeah. uh, you start creating there. brands of Christianity that allow for the exercise, the manifestation of my flesh in sin. And 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 this is can I, can I rabbit trail very quickly. 
but this is this is where because I was having this discussion by text with someone who asked me about a book yesterday. This this is where when we reject the idea that creation tells us some truths. Now, natural theology does not lead to conversion. Like you cannot get saved from natural theology. Romans one is clear. There's enough in creation to hold us accountable for our knowledge and send us to hell, but it's not enough to save us. The only thing that will save us is the the full special revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. That's the only way you can be saved. Right. But if we reject the truths of created order and point to the fact that the Bible never says I can't transition, no, it doesn't say you can't transition because it assumes it shouldn't have to. Right. And the reason it assumes it shouldn't have to is because God who made everything made two genders. And the biology of those genders is evident in creation. I, I cannot be like you can go to you can go anywhere in the world and find any find a tribe that's never been exposed to Christianity and ask them questions re- related to genders and sexuality and the function of biology and all of them, without question, will tell you the only way to have children is for a man and a woman to procreate together. Right. Because that's biology. It's it's just the way it is. It's good science, right? Yeah. And so I don't need the Bible to tell me that you can't transition because it's explicit in created order. And if I and if I reject created order and say, well, it's only can be in the Bible if it's true, well then then I've gone down a road, a devastating road. What I've got to do is look at the Bible, what it is. It is the word of God, it's the infallible word of God. It tells us the truth. And and it tells us that God created everything. And in that creation, since God created, if it's true, it's God's. And so even even in that world, we're deconstructing, we at least need to be genuine enough to look at creation and go, let's do good science. What does biology tell me? And if the biology is solidified in the universe, maybe this is beyond a biological issue. It's a psychological issue. It's a sociological issue. Mm -hmm. It's being foisted on me from unseen forces outside of myself, and I'm being taken advantage of by unseen dark forces. Right. That needs to at least be on the table. 100%. Sorry, that was a rabbit trail. I had to go down. No, that's a good rabbit trail. Well, and it kind of transitions into my next point, where I feel like a lot of this movement comes back to social contagion. Yes, I, and I think we, I you agree. know, there's a great episode yeah. from Theology in the Dirt podcast you can go back and listen to on that really? topic. So Theology in the Dirt did one on social contagion. They did. Wow, and it's it's great. Those would, guys are awesome. You probably should give it a five star. <laughs> um, now we've certainly seen many um, abuse scandals hit our news feeds. Right. There are very real people who carry the wounds, doubts, and trauma caused by these experiences. Many survivors are left with an injured faith and may wander online only to be met by a massive community of what we call like ex-evangelicals mm-hmm. who triumph deconstruction and publicly shame anyone who speaks against it. And this can feel like a safe place to process those hurts, um, but there's a specific end goal to dismantle beliefs Uh, one subjectively thinks are oppressive or morally dubious rather than conform our beliefs to scripture, even if those beliefs are counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. And so so I say that to say there's an understandable appeal to deconstruction, especially from those who have been wounded or legitimately hurt by those in power in the church Mm -hmm. or by even people who aren't necessarily like who aren't like leaders Mm -hmm. uh, because it provides a sense of self ownership, intellectualism. And it seems to provide those who are constantly questioning with, how God could allow evil into the world. Um, mm. There's a guy, John Williamson, he's a host of a popular podcast on deconstruction, and he says it like this. 
it's examining your faith from the inside, looking for potential weaknesses. The analogy I like to use is before you set sail on a cruise ship, you'll see it in Harbor and people applying a fresh coat of paint, sealing up any gaps and dealing with the rust. This is done so it doesn't sink once you get out to sea. And that's essentially the same thing that we're saying about faith. It's about taking ownership over what you believe and potentially letting go of some of the things that no longer work. Uh, end quote. So uh, those aren't my words. However, so I could, I could see some points in there, but however, that last sentence is the key hole in the ship. Uh, we can't just let go of things we feel no longer work because the Lord's way of doing things, that there's no expiration date. Mm. Like there's no outdating of scripture. Um, it's mm. always been truth and will always be truth. And the gospel cannot be good news if there's no understanding of the bad news. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's where the big hole in deconstruction comes. It's yeah. you can't just take it and be like, well, this doesn't apply to me anymore. Well, the idea of if something doesn't work, we jettison it. That that's a pragmatic worldview that's rooted that's rooted in naturalism. Like it, pragmatism as a worldview is rooted in naturalism. Right. And deconstruction is rooted in naturalism. And and so there are there are mounds of reasons to hold on to things that don't appear to work because there are unseen realities in play. Mm-hmm. Right? And so pragmatism, not pragmatic, like, oh, this is how you uh, hang a picture on the wall. All right? That's pragmatic. Pragmatism, as a worldview, believes there's nothing beyond the physical world. And so that idea of letting go of things in a faith world because they no longer work is a pragmatic worldview that's assuming there is no supernatural reality. Right. It's inconsistent. It's completely inconsistent. Well, number one, it's it's a faith statement because you're assuming there's nothing beyond the physical world. That that's rolling the dice, baby. I mean, yeah. might as well go to Vegas and play some craps, man. Because that that's a that's a fifty fifty shot. That's not a good shot. You don't lay a million down on a fifty fifty. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah. like, you're talking about laying eternity down on a fifty fifty shot. Matters all there is. I would rather go. There's matter. And there's a supernatural spiritual world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, right. That's a little better. That's the odds are better there. But the whole idea of like letting it go because it no longer works is foolish. If there's an unseen part to creation. Yeah. Oh, well, and again, it, that's why it's, we put faith by it. It's de- deconstruction of faith because you're, you're don't have any, yeah, <laughs> you just right. like say, I don't, I don't trust. Well, life's I not mean, working for me anymore. So I pulled the trigger and end it. Yeah. Thankfully, Job because didn't nothing. deconstruct. Yeah, because thankfully, because it, I mean, I mean, he had that, every reason to. I mean, that's the outworking of it. No longer works for me, so I need to let it go. Well, that's assisted suicide. That's just any suicide. Like, like this isn't working for me, so I'm going to take the way out. Well, great if matter is all there is, but what if that's not all that's in play? What if suffering is redemptive? What if there is an eternal, unseen purpose in temporary or even lifelong suffering? Yeah. What if? And the Bible actually gives answers to that. Yeah, that's right? what I was gonna say. If, yeah, you said it, Job. Yeah, one example. I mean, there's there's lots of them, and it's Jesus, Jesus, the disciples. Yeah. <laughs> um, say, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and wheat, and after you have turned, strengthen your brothers. And he told him, Peter, I've prayed for you. So, I mean, if if Jesus is even half of who he said he is, that means something that's important. So the whole idea of jettisoning it because it no longer works is absolutely foolish. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you read that quote. Cause it's like one that should be picked apart. It sounds, Oh man. Yeah. Until you, that last little part. Well, and, and that's why and I bring that up in, in the context of 
referring to social contagion because yeah. really this version of deconstruction started with hashtags and it started with like just like it's an old term like we said that's been kind yeah. of manipulated into this christianity thing it's a worldview it is a worldview it is and it, it's it's Opposite almost its own, own religion yes it's it, occultist like you said now yeah. those involved in deconstruction would never say that no and in the what strengthens them is anyone opposing that is now mm. strengthening their position on it. it's like well see now you're you're rejecting me why would i want to be a part of that and i think that's it's it's a manipulative that they use for themselves, but it also is a defense mechanism to yeah. truth being used as a counter argument to yeah. what they're. Jesus, when Jesus preaching. said uh, he was talking about this generation is like the, they're like children in the marketplace. We sang a song and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. He said wisdom is proven by its by how it works itself out. It's like in that world, it's like it doesn't matter what you say or do. I'm singing a dirge, and you're not mourning. You're not mourning with me. I'm singing a song. You're not dancing. It's, it's like they're playing the game by their own rules, and there's no way you can actually speak into it. It's like nothing you say is going to win, and that's unfortunate. Right. Because there is a loss of any sense of reason. Right. Because it is a comprehensive worldview. It asks and answers the basic worldview questions. Who is God? Me. Who is man? Divine. Uh, what really matters? what's your source of truth and authority, right? It's it's asking and answering the basic worldview questions that every religion on the face of the planet has to ask and answer, and it basically is a religion. Yeah. I remember back to, um, you remember Rob Bell? Oh, yeah. Back in like, was that probably early 2000s, mid-2000s, he came out with these videos called Numa. It was like a... They were awesome. And they were so good. Yeah, yeah. there's one about... Um, following in the dust of the rabbi, like yeah. you know, and covered I, in the dust. Of yeah, the and I love yeah. that. I yeah. used that one multiple times, and then good. Um, you know, he had a couple books. Uh, I think Velvet Elvis, and um, I forget his first one. That was actually really good, but then kind of ch- something with the change, and he comes out with a book called Love Wins, and it became extremely controversial. And then you know, you had like the Pipers of the world saying, you know, uh, you know. Goodbye, Rob. Like kind of like I can see you later. Like <laughs> yeah. there was more to it than that, but you know there was. It became this yeah. huge thing, yeah. and 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 that that's deconstructionism um, at its core. Really, yeah. what he started to do was like start to break down things and be like, I don't know that I really believe that, and 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 you can't have like okay, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but I also think that this is okay. Yeah, and we, those they can't coexist. Yeah. Well, if the Bible's true, and I firmly believe every word of it is true, um. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells me that Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. Therefore, no wonder his prophets come disguised as, as, as workers of righteousness. So the Bible assumes there's an unseen reality. And I would believe that the dark forces want to cause people to walk away from the truth of who God really is. And so if anybody's walking down that road, you need to consider that you might be being influenced by dark forces outside that manifest themselves in ways that come across as light and truth, and you better be careful. Don't roll the dice on that not being real. Yeah, those dark forces aren't throwing a a bag over your head and and taking you away. They're convincing you that this is yeah. Your idea, yeah, and that you're doing the right thing, yeah. But Paul told the Ephesians, "We take the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy." So if if, if you're deconstructing, you're throwing away that shield, and you have exposed yourself to the fiery one, who will come at you not um, as a man red with horns and a cape and a pitchfork. Uh, but who's dressed really well 
and is really reasonable and very appealing and will suck you into hell at your own willful reception of it. Be very, very careful. Well, I'm glad you brought up doubt earlier because, you know, we at least see examples of that scripture. Like, I don't think anyone could tell me that Abraham didn't have doubt walking up to that mountain. Absolutely. And I think it was righteous doubt in a way. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't It just our human nature. There's going to be those moments. Yeah. But we can't walk away just because we doubt something or we doubt if something is the Lord's. And, and I know that that's easier said than done. Mm. Um, I, I have doubt more times than I would probably care to to admit it at times, yeah. but and, and it's not, I don't think the doubt that we have sometimes is necessarily equals. I don't trust at all. Like it's, it's not that far of extremes. It's my human nature and my finite belief system is struggling here. Absolutely. And, and that turns into a Lord. Show me the way, like show me yeah. and, and, fulf- and fill that for me. And that, that's to me. That's what should create create dependence, mm. not push you towards independence or rejection. Yeah, that's a good word, man. I, it's hard for me to do these podcasts and not make application to what we're teaching on Sundays, like this coming week in, in Exodus five twenty two to Exodus six five. Um, Moses is full of doubt. Things go sideways. Things get things don't work out the way they believe they were supposed to work out. And, and Moses um, lamentingly, faithfully asked two really hard questions and makes an observational statement that's really brutal. And, and he's doubting, yeah. and, and the Lord never rebukes him for it, never, which is why Jude will say, be merciful to those who doubt. There is, there is difference between walking out life on mission in the combat of ideas and worldviews against what the Bible teaches and things not going the way we think they ought to go or even the way God promised them they would go eventually and wondering if we're doing the right thing. Like, yes, yeah. it's impossible to live the life of faith without doubting. You're going to doubt. The question is, is, is my doubt anchored to the one who called me? Mm. And if it is, it doesn't matter how hard the winds blow, they won't blow you over. Jesus even said, he who hears these words of mine and does them are a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain came and the floods came and beat against that house, it didn't fall because it had been anchored on the rock. And so um, and so, doubting is, is completely different than tearing down your faith by pulling out the foundation and watching, as you said, the illustration of the house of cards fall. Two very different things. Yeah, the result of your doubting should be an increase of your faith. Even yes. if it's testing, it's, yes. you know... Thomas doubted, yes, but Jesus proved. Yeah, Peter doubted, but Jesus didn't allow him to sink to the bottom of the sea. Yeah, that's he pulled right. Pulled him out, and, and and it it can very well lead you to the sea if Peter had be like, yeah, I doubt. Oh, and not only do I doubt, I'm just I'm going to try to make this on my own in this storm. Yeah, like I'm, I think I got it. You know, yeah. and and it's, it's a very dangerous. It is like line it, to walk. And Jesus was with them when they were doubting on the sea. He's asleep in the back of the boat, and they're absolutely freaking out. And he goes, "Oh, you little faith, why do you doubt? Peace, be still." And boom, the seas had to obey their Creator. And so, their yeah. doubting is part of the life of faith. Deconstructing is not doubting, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's important. Um, to, yeah. to distinguish there. Absolutely. But, uh, I think we both got some takeaways. You yeah. want to jump into yours? Let me give my takeaways. Number one, don't let nice-sounding words conceal reality. Mm. Deconstruction of faith is really unbelief. 
Um, so don't let words and, and nice sounding statements from from somebody like you read deceive you. If we just picked apart that statement and showed you where there is a worldview buried in that statement that is deadly. So don't let nice sounding ideas without picking them apart deceive you. Deconstruction is unbelief. Two, deconstructing one things deconstructing one thing means we're actually believing another thing. Makes sense. So there's no yeah. such thing as zero belief in something. So be careful what you choose to believe and what you choose to deconstruct. You better be sure. Three, don't walk away from the faith never having read the Bible through. I've I've people who have who have and I've been and know people who've walked away from the faith, they are not Bible readers. They assume Bible content and that's devastating, devastating. Don't walk away from the faith never having read the Bible through at least a number of times enough to know its content as a cohesive meta narrative, and then understanding its claims as centered on the person and work of Jesus, then judge everything else by that truth. Mm. And my fourth and final takeaway, if you're wrestling in and with your faith, good, <laughs> good. Okay. We all do. Jacob wrestled with the Lord, and he refused to let the Lord go. In fact, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And if you're wrestling with your faith, do not let the Lord go. <laughs> and ask him to bless you. Yeah. Um, don't let him go. Life's hard. Sin destroys. Jesus gives life. Um, and these things don't always sink up, but wrestle and don't let go. Whatever, whatever you do, don't let go because you have everything to lose and absolutely nothing to gain. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who said it, but I know you use this quote a lot. But, you know, God can't bless a man deeply until he wounds yeah, a man deeply. Yeah, I may have butchered that. Oh, no, that's good. A.W. A. Tozer. Tozer. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was Tozer. There's a lengthy, uh, there's a lengthy quote. Uh, it, it, it's him. He's he's talking about the um, the hammer, the file, and the fire. Mm. And the hammer is merciless, and it pounds and pounds and pounds until the nail is beat into the wood. The file is even more so. It files and grinds away until it grinds away everything that, that the one wielding the file doesn't want in the metal. And the fire is the most brutal of them all because it burns up absolutely everything until until the the one working the fire has purified completely the metal. And, and he's illustrating the work of the Lord, and he says, and it is doubtful whether God will bless a man deeply until he has hurt him deeply. Yeah. I, I think at some point, if you've lived enough life, you'll experience that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that blessing is so much richer yeah. coming out of those deep wounds. Yes, absolutely. Um, Amen. Because I mean, discipleship is, there's no such thing as Christian discipleship that isn't centered on the cross. We're saved by the cross, and we are discipled by the cross. And if Jesus gets scars in this life to save us, we get to take scars with him as we are saved yeah. by him. There's no other way but the cross. And 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 that is not devastating. That is that is that is blessing. And, and unfortunately, we've sold a lie that if you come to Jesus, everything is just going to be easy. And that's just a lie. It's yeah. not true. Because there is sin, and sin is devastating consequences. And Jesus, though, resurrects to life, but he only resurrects to life dead <laughs> dead things. Meaning if it's dead, it's had to go through hell, yeah. hardship. And so um, there's no such thing as an easy faith. I'd argue it, it'll get harder. Yeah. But it, it'll be. Yeah, it gets harder. Like this is, man, I was talking yesterday uh, on a Zoom call with my spiritual father and some work that we're doing. And. And one of the things he, you know, he's in his sixties and, um, and me now 50, one of the things I'm discovering, he says is true. And he says it about every time we talk, um, life only gets more difficult as you get older. It doesn't get easier. 
what happens is because the consequences and stakes of everything increase. What happens is when we grow in the Lord, we learn to walk with Him. Joy is a choice. Um, contentment is a choice, and we learn to exercise. We actually learn to exercise our faith more robustly. And so don't think it's going to get easier. It's actually going to get harder, but you handle it better. And that's that's just true. Yeah. Nothing but truth. There's <laughs> nothing but truth to that. And that's unpleasant if you're in your 30s going, oh, my gosh. But it's actually not unpleasant. This is the life of faith. Hmm. The life we live where we live is abnormal to most Christians, the majority of Christians around the earth around the world. We have this abnormal life that we think is normal and we create weird theologies out of it that the rest of the world does not understand or know. And when you travel and you get to work with these people around the world like we do, you get to see, no, man, this is not how the faith gets lived out anywhere else. And and what we do here is just weird. We're the weird ones, not the rest of the Christians around the world. We're strange, not them. And we think they have heresy problems. We have heresy problems. We just don't know they're heresies. And we've integrated them into our faith. And when people start deconstructing that and walking away, we realize we've allowed people to believe horrible things. And which is why I, I, I'm totally, but I'm, I need you guys takeaways. But <laughs> which is one of the reasons I think God has done this great work in our church. People are starving for the Bible. Um. And they find us and they watch a video or they listen to a podcast or they look us up on a particular website and find our church connected. And they come because of the Bible and how we teach the Bible. Yeah. Everybody in membership class, it's that. Everybody who's come through, it's that. Because they're starving out here. And when they find that, it feeds their soul. And I'm convinced that's one of the that God does with us in our work around the world is it's same, same, because it's same Bible, same God, same faith. Mm-hmm. And we're striving here to make sure there is no culture set on top of that, but what the Bible doesn't create. So yeah. we, we try to reject everything that doesn't smell like Bible and kingdom of God. Yeah. There's, there's no promise of easy, but there's, there's sustaining power in the yeah. scriptures and around people who believe in the, Amen. the truths of the scriptures. And I think we Amen. try to our best to do that well. We do. And and we that's life changing. Well, um, and that, that was probably some great points to end on there, but uh, just my, my <laughs> take. Sorry. No, that's good. Uh, man, the gospel is good. That's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, my takeaways for today kind of answer the question of how do we respond to those who are deconstructing mm-hmm. their faith and belief system? So just to give some practical applications today, number one, listen well and extend grace. Uh, we must remember that many people in this process are hurting and our first move shouldn't be to judge, condemn, or to try to convert them back quickly. Mm. Uh, this can cause further division and is likely what sent them down this path to begin with. So listen intently, love unconditionally, and extend grace. Um, Heed he Paul's words in Philippians 1, 3 through 11 as a great way to respond first. Uh, he mm. says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, Mm -hmm. both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with wow. the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Mm. So I know that was long, but I think that's important. And, and again, that your your love man bound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Yeah, uh, that's a key point there. That's good. Uh, number two, preach the word and hold true to the scripture. You, we've said that a lot this morning, but after listening and loving, then it's time to speak the truth in that love. Second Timothy four one to five. Mm-hmm. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Wow. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wow. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's awesome. That's deconstruction (laughs) defense. Yeah, it really is completely, 100%. (laughs) Um, It's huge. And that's happening. That time that he mentions is, is now it's yeah. happening right now. Mm. Uh, number three, don't lose heart and continue pursuing those who have wandered from the faith. Uh, James five, 19 to 20, my brothers, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and Ooh. will cover a multitude of sins. Mm. Uh, now I want to clarify here. That doesn't mean you're solely responsible for those walking away. Right. For it's the Lord at work through you. But we should have a sense of urgency to keep our brothers and sisters in the faith from falling away as long as they're open and willing and allow us to help fight that battle mm. for them and alongside them. That's good. And so, you know, we just, we need to, we we're, if we're not conversating, conversating, if we're not having conversations with them, yeah. let's be interceding for them Amen. in prayer and then ask the Lord to do work and to use us to pull them back. Amen. It's good stuff. Guys, we hope you uh, enjoyed listening today, and we hope this has been very helpful for you. It's helpful for us to talk this stuff out. Yeah. And so we're grateful for you guys. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for our supporters. Thanks for those who uh, leave us some kind of review. Thanks to you who share. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, you can go to theologyinthedirt.com, uh, and you can read blog posts that are mostly sermon notes. Uh, there are a few posts on there, but we post the podcast on there. So please check it out. Uh, if you're looking for a church, we know a good one. So you can go to threeriversea.org and find out a little bit about our church. But there's also tons of good churches in our city. If you're looking for a church, I'll tell you, ninemarks.org is a place to go and look. If you're in another city and want to find a Bible-believing church and you're struggling, if you're struggling and want to reach out to us, you can send us an email at theodsinthedirt at gmail.com, and we're glad to get back with you, help you in any way we can. You guys have a great rest of your day. See you next time. Out. Peace.